Hello and welcome to the Psycom Journal Club podcast, the one-stop shop for effective and impactful science communication approaches. At Psycom JC, we aim to help scientists integrate findings from the latest evidence-based research in social sciences and education into their outreach programs. We curate, summarize and discuss research studies and their applications to real communication contexts in a way that scientists can easily implement. Our team is small but extremely motivated and we're constantly positively influenced by our growing network of enthusiastic scientists and science communicators. Thank you for being part of our vision-driven efforts. Today, behind the microphones, we have Heather, Maria and me, Nevena. So how about we do a short roundtable of introductions? Sure. Um, so my name is Heather Conklin and I am one of the members of SciCon JC. Um, and I'm actually the um, weird one in the bunch. I'm the social scientist. I'm a political scientist by training. And my interest really is in building public engagement for science and science policy. Awesome. Maria? Yeah, hi, my name is Maria. Um, I got my global health PhD from Arizona State. I'm currently a research associate at the Center for the Study of Los Angeles. And my background is in anthropology and public health. So I am actually an ex-anti-science uh, advocate and I'm really into science communication now that I made a complete 180 with um, my formal education. For the record, we are going to hear that story in detail in one of the next episodes, people. Stay tuned. Uh, my name is Nevena Christoso. I'm joining from Brussels. Uh, I'm a molecular biologist turned science communicator, and I currently work in the field of food safety as a scientific project manager. And today, we're very happy to have also a very special guest on our show. Um, Heather, how about you introduce the concept of why we have a guest today? So we have a special guest today because we did a contest in January and at the beginning of February. So if you've been on our Twitter chat, you've probably seen us tweeting a lot about the State Your Mission Challenge. And so what this was really designed for was to help everybody who's doing SciComm really focus in on what they're doing for the year, a way to start the year off right. So instead of maybe creating a New Year's resolution, we all created mission statements for a science communication outreach efforts. So that will keep us on track and remind us really what our purpose is for doing science communication. So we had um, quite a few submissions that were absolutely wonderful. And our winner was Gabriel Santo, AKA Paleo Paradox. And he actually is doing cosplay for science. So I wanna read you his mission statement because it's awesome. So cosplay for science is to foster science appreciation through the use of nerd and pop culture. By going into our community, we can make science more relatable to our everyday lives and interests, make scientists more approachable and trustworthy, and establish an interest in science that can lead to a demand for science education. How awesome is that? So he's with us today. Welcome, Gabriel. Hi. Hello. Thanks, Gabriel, for submitting this brilliant mission statement. There weren't two opinions about who is going to win it once we saw yours. So, you <laughs> thank you. How about you tell us what exactly you and your awesome team are doing as uh, in terms of science communication? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Um, so, science, uh, cosplay for science is a SciCom project that was started um, between me 
my friends, um, Brittany Stoneberg from the Western Science Center, um, Michelle Barboza from University of Florida, and Isaac Magallanes from the um, University of Florida also. And all four of us are paleontologists, um, just by a chance. Uh, and we're all actually from Los Angeles uh, originally. And then we are all really very much into science communication. Um, we all started in our, in our um, undergrad or master's program. And we've always been trying to find more fun, interesting ways uh, to make science communication more relatable. And so what we did is together we came up with the idea of cosplay for science. And it's basically what the title says. We dress up in cosplay and we use whatever cosplay that we're dressed up as to start a conversation with um, in our audience about science and kind of get them to think about the science that is not necessarily hidden, just not as well appreciated in the things that we just love and talk about every day, whether it's um, some of the animals from Star Wars, the spaceships from Star Wars, the dragons from Game of Thrones, the Pokemon, um, just things that we love and but don't really realize how much science went into the inspiration of these things. So, you know, we go to Comic-Cons, we do events at our own museum, we're hoping to create our own events in the future. And even um, our goal is to eventually create lessons plans for teachers on how they can use cosplay for science in their classrooms. They don't have to dress up, but use the same kind of concepts of starting with the, starting with pop culture and then using that to kind of create a narrative of science um, to tell a story and get their students to start to think critically and remember that when they're watching a movie or playing a video game. Thank you. I'm sure that every one of us has a lot of questions. So <laughs> in order not to talk over each other, how about Heather starts? Okay. Um, well, I have a lot of questions for you. And by the way, your Twitter chat was awesome. I left very inspired. <laughs> um, and so I want to kind of get back and, and maybe dive into some of those questions some more since now we actually can talk in real life here. Um, but I guess the first question is, um, doing cosplay, have you noticed any changes in how people respond to you when you start talking about science? Um, definitely for sure. Uh, I wouldn't say at a Comic-Con, we're still trying to figure out how that works, but when we do it at um, our museums, we, I definitely can see a difference. Um, let's look, when I do like a regular just fossil touch table and I'm standing there with these fossils in front of me and I'm, for some reason it's hard to get kids or even adults to like walk to my table and like start asking me questions and be like, oh, what fossil is that? I have to like, hey guys, come here, you wanna check this out? And then I'm like putting on my like most Disney voice that I have to get people to come talk to me and I'm trying to look <laughs> le as less threatening as possible um, or not threatening, I would say, but just, you know, less intimidating, I guess. And, you know, it's a kind of a challenge sometimes. But when I, I just did an event yesterday called Making Monsters for the museum I work at, the ALF Museum. And I did a Pokemon table, basically. I was talking about the fossils that inspired fossil Pokemon. And I was in full Professor Oak outfit. I had Pokeballs all over the table. I had pictures of Pokemon plus the fossils. And then, you know, I didn't have to really work that hard for once. It was great. People just walked up to me and like, are these Pokemon? I'm like, yeah, it's Pokemon. And I'm like, and then you know what's this? This is a fossil. And then 
the kids just, you know, went crazy. And the adults were like standing back, looking over them, trying to see what they're, what they're looking at and talking about. And, you know, I had people telling me about their Pokemon and then I could tell them about what animals that they were inspired by. And then I asked them like, Oh, what other kind of games or movies you watch? And I got to talk about all the other things and um, that inspired those video games. So it was really, it was awesome how easy it was for me, to, you know, to get their attention. I didn't have to really work that hard. And it was funny because the first time, you know, the, when I was talking about my first experience, first experience, I'm in a museum, you know, you think that's what they're there for, but they're still intimidated, I guess, by trying to talk to this guy who's got a sign that says, Gabriel Santos, paleontologist, they're like, oh, I probably don't want to sound stupid or whatever. But then they see me in cosplay as Professor Oak. I guess I don't seem, I mean, I'm dressed as a scientist, but I guess it's just, oh, look, this guy's dressed up as Professor Oak. He looks fun. And so, yeah, it was, it, I can totally see a difference, um, at least in some, in, in, in some aspects. Like I said, we're only, we've only been doing this for less than a year, probably only a few months. We only started our Instagram back in October, I think. So we're still learning on how people will, you know, are talking to us and treating us um, at at Comic Cons and stuff because it's a lot bigger. But I will say that while we're at Comic Cons, we I I don't see anyone having trouble talking to us because everyone's kind of in cosplay and it just seems like an even playing field. And people just walk up to us and like, are these dinosaurs? I'm like, heck yeah, it's dinosaurs. I'm dressed up as Professor Ellen Grant from Jurassic Park. You want to talk about it? And like, heck yeah. That's amazing. That is really, really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. What's your favorite cosplay costume so far? When it, turn, when it comes to science, I imagine that you do cosplay for fun as well. Yeah. <laughs> for science one, let's see. Honestly, I think it's my Professor Oak costume. That's the one I've done the most so far for science purposes. And it's kind of on a personal level too, because I'm a huge Pokemon fan. I've been playing since I was like 10 years old and like in the video games, Pokemon trainers start when they're 10 years old and I was 10 and I've been able to follow along the game um, from 10 years old to now when I'm almost 30. And it's like, I get to now be the Pokemon professor. So I kind of feel like there's this actual natural progression from 10 year old Pokemon trainer to um, actual Oh, quote, actual Pokemon professor. And I just have the most fun when I'm wearing that costume and talking to kids. Um, I would say probably my second closest one is when I get to wear my um, Poe Dameron outfit from Star Wars and I get to talk about Star Wars science. And that's mostly just because, like, um, I feel really cool wearing that outfit. <laughs> awesome. Faria, you have something? Yeah, this all sounds amazing. And I just have a couple of questions. So you said you've been do only doing this for about a year. And uh, I know you're doing it at the museum you work at, you go to certain events, and you have the social media account. So I wanted to see, do you have a specific target audience, especially something like the social media account, because it could be anyone. And uh, did you do anything to get the science communication skills, or you kind of learn as you go along? How do you go about it? Um, let's see. I'd say for the first question, when we started Cosplay for Science, I think our main audience really was millennials and uh -huh. younger kids um, because we were, it, it was really more towards millennials and teens, I think, because 
we don't have as much trouble with kids enjoying our stuff, like, um, because, you know, how, what four-year-old really doesn't love dinosaurs and fossils? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we were always just trying to find ways to make things more engaging for uh, people that are older who just sometimes are like, oh, I'm shy or like, I'm just kind of, I'm trying to be cool and I don't want to act like a nerdy or whatever and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so I would say, yeah, we were trying to really start out with a more millennial audience, but it's really grown. You know, when we're at cons, mm-hmm. we have kids to, you know, adults talking to us and it's just really cool. As for science communication skills, I think it's the same for all of us in our group. We never really took tra- that much training in it. We, we, we found something that we loved. I'd say like we, we're, all, we're all storytellers. We're all natural storytellers. We love telling stories. And that evolved into becoming science communicators. And yeah. we learned along the way. We, you know, we, Brittany started as the science communication person at her museum just, you know, thrown into the fray, basically. I mean, actually, I take that back. Brittany was a journalism major who transferred into science. So that helped her a lot, for sure. But wow. she still had to learn science communication because it's not, it doesn't translate completely. For me, I was a scientist, I was trained as a scientist. Um, but I also had, like, these skills that I learned just for fun. Like, I learned, I used to make stupid videos on YouTube when I was in high school. Um, I loved um, doing photography and uh, um, of course, you know, just dressing up and stuff like that. Yeah. And so what happened is we found a way to take all of our previous skills that were loosely connected and found a way to just combine it into one thing. And so, yeah, we all, we're all, I would say fairly new to science communication and term, you know, cause some people have been doing this for years, but mm-hmm. we're all definitely learning on how to do it. Like Michelle has her own podcast called the Femmes of STEM and she's learning mm-hmm. to be an amazing storyteller. Isaac mm-hmm. is actually getting, um, a certificate in education during his master's and he's trying to learn to become a very effective teacher along with science communication. For me, I'm learning more of the marketing um, design and production side of things um, mm-hmm. along with my science. So all together, you know, we're kind of forming this team of like skills for science communication and we're all going to help each other um, just yeah. become the best we can. That sounds amazing. It does sound like a fantastic team that brings different strengths together. Awesome. Thanks for your answer. Yeah. Gabriel, what would you recommend for all of us moving forward as SciCommerce then? Because your team is so beautiful and diverse in terms of backgrounds and areas of study and skills. I mean, is there something, you know, that you would say, like, if you're doing SciCom, make sure that you do X, Y, and Z. Is there something that you'd recommend? I'd say from what I've learned so far, because I'm, you know, I don't, I'm by no means an expert, but I said on the Twitter chat, do you do you when you're doing your SciCom? Find a way to have your personality come out when you're doing it. I've, I've seen it happen or do, you know, I've seen it work really well with me and my friends. I've seen it work really well with all the science communicator friends that I have on Instagram and Twitter is where they use something about themselves and a very, about their personal lives and use that to kind of connect with people in science communication, whether it's, you know, you want to talk about fashion and then, you know, use fashion a science in your fashion designs. Or if you're a, you know, a weightlifter scientist, you, you, you do that. And then you talk about how, you know, physio- or physiology and muscles or whatever work. And it's a way to get people to, you know, kind of just see you for you as, you know, not just a scientist, but as, you know, as Gabriel, as Michelle, as Brittany, as Isaac. Um, and like, oh, he seems cool. I want to talk to him. And they're, they're, they're kind of 
becoming friends with you and they're just talking with you and they're, you know, you're not just a teacher trying to tell them something. You're starting a conversation because you're on a personal level with them. And for me, another thing that helps is if you step back from being a scientist for a second and just remember that there are so many people out there who do not have access to science, who are not exposed to science, who honestly sometimes just don't care about it because it's just not part of their lives culturally or whatever. If you keep that in mind when you're building your programs, you can create a more effective program when you're just trying to make it, trying to connect to those people a little bit more because you're like, okay, so these, so like, I'll use me for example. I'm, I'm Filipino. My family is from the Philippines. My mom moved here when she was 16. I have plenty of family members who came from the Philippines more recently who don't even have science education as part of their background in school. Some of them have even asked me, oh, so dinosaurs are real? And when I hear that, I'm just like, what? I'm like confounded and almost angry for a second, but I have to stop and be like, why did she say that? Or why did he say that? And I'm like, they didn't learn this. They didn't have exposure to dinosaurs, paleontology, or just science in general. So I had to calm down, step back, and think about that when I try to find a way to introduce science to them because they don't have that to start with. And so um, it helped me a lot in creating cosplay for science and using pop culture because they know pop culture. If I can talk to them about pop culture first and then introduce science in there after, they're already listening to me and we're having a conversation. So I'd say that's what it is, is personalize your psychom, be you as most, as most as you can as possible. And then um, just remember to step back and realize that, you know, science is for everybody, but it didn't always, they didn't always have access to it. Those are amazing tips. The idea about, yeah, putting yourself into psychom, being authentic and yeah, meeting people where they are. I think that's huge. Yeah, it's been really, it's been a real learning experience for me, especially having my family as, I wouldn't say, as people to test this stuff with. Um, because, you know, my, my mom's a nurse. She is, she understands science, but there, she still sometimes sees like the science that me and my sister do. My sister is a geophysicist. She sees it as just like way beyond her. And me and my sister will just be like, mom, no, sit down. We're going to tell you all about how, or lots of sedimentary work. And then, so, you know, now when we go, you know, we did a field, we did a road trip recently to Utah and then my mom looks out the window and she's like, Gabe, are those sedimentary structures? And me and my sister's jaw just dropped. And it was so good to see my mom say that. Awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome. I have another one for you. Now that you're mentioning that you tuned type of communication that you do for your audience, obviously, um, when you prepare um, a character that you are going to cosplay, have you ever come across to a piece of science that you yourself totally didn't expect and were like taken aback, like, whoa, this is so awesome. I didn't know that. And I learned something myself. Oh, all the time. Like uh, when we did, we were talking about, uh, we did a Comic-Con, we did LA Comic-Con actually uh, in October. And the, f the first day we did it, we were doing Star Wars science, right? So we brought a bunch of fossils and we were talking about the animals um, that inspired those, the animals in Star Wars. And so I was doing some research on, um, on uh, mammoths and mastodons because Brittany at the Western Science Center, they're all ice age animals. And those animals helped inspire the, um, 
the Banthas from Tatooine, you know, those big lumbering animals that the Tusken Raiders ride. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm doing research on them and I'm like talking to Brittany because she, you know, she knows these things and I'm asking her all these things about mammoths. And I thought I had a pretty good idea about what, you know, what they, what they were and how long they live. But Brittany was telling me all these crazy things about how they're, you know, how some of their teeth show these really weird wear patterns and there, some of the interactions between mammoths and humans and, you know, later Pleistocene, early Holocene. And I was like, what? Some of those things happened. And then when we do, we, you know, when we do some of our Instagram posts, I have to do research to, you know, obviously to connect with other scientists because I don't, we don't touch do paleontology. So I was actually doing research about gravity for a Mass Effect cosplay or, dis, or a Mass Effect cosplay that I did basically. Um, wow. And then so... I was reading about gravity and I learned about, I started reading about gravitational waves. Like we all heard about it on the news. I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. But I was just like, okay, that's cool. I'll, I'll come back to it later. And then I started reading the paper on it and I just fell into this spiral about like, okay, so gravity, gravity waves. And then I started learning about black holes and you know, how all these things work. And I was just like, two hours later, I was like, oh, I got to make the post. <laughs> <laughs> the, rub the the black hole sucked you in <laughs> exactly literally uh but i think that can show you like even for us as scientists right like i started researching something because i wanted to dress as a mass effect character character and i just got pulled in and started learning about it it was so cool to see like my own method was working for me <laughs> awesome what would be the most elaborate character that you would want to do provided that you have absolutely no restriction in tools that you could use or finances you can put into Ooh, that is a <laughs> the good world one. is yours you have to be that one character so okay so i ha actually have two right now that are in the back of my mind but it's just logistically really hard so the first one is i kind of said it already is there's a character in mass effect which is a video game series where some of the characters have the ability to basically control mass. Um, um, they can alter gravity, lift people, create miniature singularities and stuff like that. And one of the characters, his name is Caden um, Alenko, and he is one of these char characters that can control mass. Um, he's a biotic is what they're called. Um, I have a hoodie that looks like his armor, so sometimes I wear that um, because, you know, it's a pretty easy thing for me to put together and I can just wear it and I'm like, oh, I'm casual Caden. But he <laughs> wears this really crazy armor set in the, in the video games and I have no idea how to start. I've looked up tutorials on other cosplayers and I'm trying to learn eventually how to do that kind of armor cosplay, um, but I'm also finishing my master's right now, so I'm putting that off. Um, and then the other one I would love to do is from another video game called Monster Hunter. And I've been doing some posts about it on my Instagram. And in Monster Hunter, it's a, it's, a, it's a fictional world. It's a fantasy setting where all these monsters, which are basically dragons and wyverns, and a lot of them are inspired by paleontology. And that's what I've been doing on my Instagram posts. But what I would love to do is create one of the armor sets in there that what they do is when they hunt the monsters they turn their bones and scales and stuff into these really elaborate armor pieces and weapons. And um, I have this one set that I've seen in the video game that I would love to create, but it just is so intricate that I have no idea where to start. Also, there's like chain mail and like bones and a, a sword that's like six feet tall. 
Um, so I would love to do that and dress up as a, as a monster hunter um, and then have a bunch of my dinosaur fossils behind me so that I can talk about, you know, like, hey, this is, the, this is an anginath bone. And then and I'd be like, well, the anginath, which is a, basically a, a T-Rex in the video game, and I could be like, so, you know, we hunted this, but then I'd be like, well, in the real world, anginath is based off the T-Rex. And then in the video game, they have crushing jaws. And then I'll be like, well, here, this is how strong the T-Rex mandible is and stuff like that. So those are the two right now that I would absolutely love to cosplay as. Well, fingers crossed it happens sooner than later. I really want to see pictures of that. <laughs> Same here. Heather had another question. I, I do. Um, I know we're heading uh, you know, to the end of our time here together in a few minutes, but I just was wondering um, if you could comment on how you negotiate or teach people who are really convinced that like the sci-fi stuff is real versus actual real science. Is that ever an issue? <laughs> I don't think, okay, so we've had people ask us about like, well, you know, in the video or like in Jurassic Park, this happened. Is that real? You know, we've had people ask us and they question it, but we, I have not yet experienced anyone who's like, are you sure? Like, cause in the movie we saw this happen and I'm pretty sure that's happened. Um, <laughs> we actually have not come across that yet. And I don't know whether it's us being just effective, it's them being scared to bring up discourse and be like, I know you're telling me this, but this is what I think. And I don't know if, you know, someone it hasn't been brave enough or just whatever, but we haven't experienced that. But honestly, the moment that comes up, I'm totally going to do a post about it. <laughs> whether it's me, Michelle or Brittany, we're going to talk about that because we've been waiting and expecting that. Um, it just hasn't happened yet. That would be amazing. Please um, let us know when that happens because I, I think we, we really want to explore that. I think that would be a really, really interesting conversation. Definitely. I just wanted to say that I'm extremely inspired. I usually dress up as a video game character for Halloween just for fun, but now I'm thinking it might be a great opportunity to insert some science into it. So thank you, Gabrielle. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't wait to see what if you Next got, Halloween. <laughs> if any of you ever do a cosplay for science, just tell us and we'll post that online and you know give us a small explanation. You know, and even anybody who's listening, if you know, if anyone mm -hmm. ever does their own cosplay and has a science idea. Um, you don't have to send it to us. Just talk about it. Our whole point of this is to get people to try new things or whatever. We don't have to be the one, you know, showing it off. We don't really care if it's us or not. We just want people, we just want people to love science like how we do. Awesome. That is awesome. So what's next for you? Where can we come see you in cosplay? So our mate right now, our, the best place to check us out is on Twitter at cosplay for science with the four because Twitter has a shorter handle um, on Instagram cosplay for science spelled out. Um, we're starting a Facebook group. Um, we are going to start a website eventually with lesson plans and other videos. Um, and then our next comic con is actually on comic con revolution in Ontario, California, not Ontario, Canada, because we had that X mix up already. <laughs> right. um, but we're going to be there. We're hopefully going to do a panel about, the evolution of dinosaurs through film and media. Um, but if not, we will be there at our own booth talking about um, dinosaurs and ice age mammals with a bunch of other paleontologists. That sounds amazing. And we may have to take a PsychonJC field trip. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. 
well, this was awesome, Gabriel. Thank you and your colleagues so much for what you're doing. It's super inspiring. It's really interesting. And yeah, indeed, I think that with the first opportunity that either of us has to cosplay, we will do a science cosplay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you all so much for having us or having me. And um, I wish my other partners could be here, um, but we're all look pretty far away. But I just want to give a quick shout out to them because, you know, it, all of us work really hard together and all three of them continue to inspire me. They're, they're not just my partners and, you know, SciComm colleagues. They're my best friends out there. Um, Isaac I've, is my best friend. We've known each other for so long and he, he's just an amazing paleontologist. Um, Brittany, who didn't start as a paleontologist, is working her butt off to become an amazing paleontologist. And Michelle is just, I, don't, I can't even explain Michelle. She's doing a podcast about historical women in science. She's an amazing feminist researcher and she's doing paleontology all at the same time. They're, they're wow. just some of the best people. Thank you. And indeed, whenever there's another event coming up soon that you guys will be hosting or you would have a satellite thing going on there, we might as well have you again. Uh, you or any of the other guys from the team will be happy to have you again on the podcast. Good luck uh, with your activities. And we're looking forward to those awesome photos on Instagram and your posts. And uh, from us, this is it for today, unless someone of the other girls has anything else to add. I just wanted to thank Gabriel. This was super, super inspiring. Thank you so, so much for joining us. I hope everybody follows at Paleo Paradox on Twitter and stays in touch. <laughs> thank you yeah, so awesome. much. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for talking to us. I'm very inspired. <laughs> thank you. It's been fun. Make sure to follow us too on Twitter at SciComm underscore JC, where you will be frequently updated on cool SciComm activities and will be able to participate in our monthly Twitter chats, where we'll be discussing the newest and best tools to build your SciComm capacities and make your messages stand out. You can also read recaps of our Twitter chats on our website at SciComm.org and leave a comment and get in touch with Thank you for joining this episode of the Psychom JC podcast. If you've liked it, let us know and please share it with your friends. Till next time and stay nerdy.